Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We're going to be reading chunks of, three different chunks, passages of the scriptures. And so uh, you can open up to Revelation 21, or you can just look at the screens because we're going to go through this together. And we're looking at a new topic in this series, our series that is titled Futures. And the reason why we have to do this, this is something we have to do. You may not appreciate it or understand it yet, but us as a church, regarding where we're at, the dynamics of this particular church, and what has happened since 2020 has been what it has been, many of you do not know that 27 to 31% of the Bible is prophetic in nature, Bible prophecy. People hear that and they, shut, they just shut down. They were brought up in churches or they came from maybe seminaries where they just completely avoided that stuff from the Bible because they've been told it's too controversial. Or what's worse, they're told in Christian circles, you can't understand it, so why try Really? The God of the Bible is going to give you a quarter plus percent of his Bible so that you can't understand it? I don't know that God. Not at all. Jesus said these things have been spoken to you in advance, written in advance, so that when they begin to happen, you'll know that I'm he. And God in the book of Isaiah announces, I've told you things that have not yet been done. I've told you them that when they come to pass you will know that there is no God but me, no Lord or Savior but me. So these are very telling things. And so I think we're like four or five weeks into this, and we're looking today at a new topic regarding heaven. We're going to be looking at this for a few weeks, but the, the challenge is really this, heaven, will you be going there? So what kind of question is that? I think it's the ultimate question. Because, you know, you ask somebody, hey, you think you're going to go to heaven? Do you know what most people say? They say yes. But that's a ministry opportunity for you. The moment they say yes, the next thing you ask is, why? On what basis are you going to go to heaven? And right then you're going to know if they're really going to go to heaven or not. And by the way, by the look on your face, they're going to know that they're probably in trouble. (laughs) Because... They're going to say something that is very, very humanistic. I'm a good person. Right? I'm a good citizen. I don't speed. Stuff like that. All the native Californians just laughed a moment ago at that. But there's be some move to justify. And by their own admission, they're going to sense, oop, that's not the right answer. Listen, heaven's not a... A default. It's not an automatic default for us. According to the Bible, the exact opposite is true. And yet, if you ask people today, how are you going to get to heaven? Most often, the answer is catastrophic. 
So today we're going to read, as we do in our responsive reading, Revelation chapter 21. I'll read the odd-numbered verses, if you'll read the even. We'll start in chapter 21, verse 1, down to verse 8. Then we're going to go to Revelation 21, verses 21 to 27. And then we'll wrap it up at Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Does that sound wonderful? Oh, God bless you. Thank you for coming and have a good day. I mean, we could end with that. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21, now verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each Individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. I want to encourage you to pay attention now to what you're reading, right? You're reading about heaven. Notice what it's talking about. It's talking about a new heaven. It's talking about basically a new world. But notice the players and what happens. Listen carefully. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, Revelation 22, verse 7. Excuse me, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7. I'll do verse 1. And he showed me, this is John speaking, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb.
and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Verse 7, the words of Jesus himself. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Father, yes, praise you, God. We can't wait. Heavenly Father, we pray now, Lord God, in Jesus' name, as our Bibles are open, we know from your word that no matter who we might be, no matter how frail, no matter how nothing we may be, the fact is your Bible tells us that whenever the name of Jesus is exalted, the Holy Spirit will be present and God will be moving. And so, Lord, we ask you to manifest before us, in us, through us, out of us, the fact that we belong to you. And, Lord, I pray that just as it's been today with the services, that during this entire service you'd speak to people, both here those that are watching, that know not God, that today their eternal destination, their default, would be changed. That today people would decide on heaven. And that they would grab the ticket. That ticket that was bought with the blood of Jesus at the cross. And that they would finally, finally, after all this time, finally, go public with Jesus Christ. To say yes to he alone who is mighty to save. We praise you, God. We thank you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Heaven will be our topic for this uh, foreseeable future as we look at this series. The Bible's description of heaven. It's amazing because, I'll be honest with you, if you just read your New Testament, you're going to get a couple of snippets about heaven. Uh, You'll be flying blind, though, much of the way. Heaven is a doctrine that is revealed in the Bible. And you need to read the entire Bible. And that just makes sense. That the grand prize, if I can put it that way, is heaven. And yet, God has given it to us in such a way, listen carefully now, that the Bible, though you and I are spoiled in this world that we live in, we have a a book that is bound together, 66 books make up one Bible. And as we've talked about the magnitude and the diversity of its authorship when it comes to the human side, uh, we know that scientifically, linguistically, archaeologically, uh, every kind of way, there's one divine author of the Bible, and that is the Holy Spirit. And that said... This book has been designed that if I were to tear out the book of Romans and drop it in, let's say, Arizona and tear out the book of Galatians and drop it in California. If I were to tear out the first uh, the book of First Timothy and give it to Utah. And if I tore out uh, Philippians and dropped it in New York. Are you with me? If we tore up every book and, and handed it out so that the reader only had 
one book of the Bible. Even if it's Habakkuk or Hosea or Genesis, they would come to the knowledge of either Christ is Savior or God is holy and I am not, or a sacrifice needs to be given, or Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. What I'm saying is God has distributed the the gospel message in his word throughout all the books of the Bible. So that if you only had one book, you'd get saved. Or if you had one book, you would know that you're rejecting the one who loves you. One thing's for sure. Just one book of the Bible would, would cause you. It has to bring you to the point of decision. There's no gray area in the Bible. And the Bible tells us about heaven. It's funny because every culture has a, a utopian dream. Every, every culture's got a, a paradise of some sorts. The God of the Bible is the only one that says, this is, what's heaven, this is what heaven's like. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to see. And this is how you get there. I don't know, but if you go to any, any place that's of uh, significance, it's probably, of course, a national park or a national monument. But I like... When I go on vacation, I, I, one of the things I like, the police don't think less of me when I tell you this. <clears throat> and I'm assuming you think more of me than I think. <clears throat> I love museums. Love them. I could spend all day in a museum. And uh, if I have a chance, I'll do it. And uh, I love places like the Smithsonian. And um, it's just spectacular. It's not so much that it's the museum. It's the fact that when you go in, for example, the National Portrait Gallery is one of my favorite places on earth. When you walk in there, it's not the museum I'm walking into. I never think about it that way. I never think, oh, I'm walking in, I'm going to the museum. I don't care about the museum. I don't care about the gates. I don't care about the guy, you know, counting the people going through the turnstile. I just want to get in front of those oil paintings. And I just want to, I just want to go into it. I want to run right into that thing. And I want to be there. And maybe you've seen a grand palace or a great chateau or cathedral or castle. And it's not so much that it's some grand, super amazing thing. It's that there's a part of you that wants to be in there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean that in a healthy way. I'm not talking about invading somebody's house. That's like, you know, that's a really nice place. Well, just stand at the curb and enjoy it. But uh, you can't go in there. But there's a part of you that wants to go in there. In fact, there's even people who have really nice houses that once a year they'll sell tickets for you to go through their home and that goes to charity. Why do you want to go into those homes? I want to see what they've got. No, but really peel it back. Peel it back. It's just, it's just awesome. There's an awesome. Is this a word? Awesomeness? Or is that just a Kelo? Is that American or English? <laughs> it's really awesome, man. It's got awesomeness to it. Where you want to go in there. And so uh, part of experience in a museum, they're not all in oil. Uh, some of them are actual structures in existence. And so when, when uh, I travel, if I, get, if I get the chance, remember traveling? You used to be able to do that? <laughs> used to visit places? So I want to show you a picture. And regarding heaven, I want to give you this argument. Uh, 
this is in Russia. This is Queen Catherine, Catherine the Great's palace. By the way, that's only one third of her palace. This is her summer house. Uh, where you're at, by the way, it's the bay. The bay, you are the bay, okay? And I don't remember if it's the Baltic or the Finnish bay. I don't remember. Some of you are from Russia, you'll know. But um, she would pull up in a boat and then she would get out of the boat and she'd, be, she'd get in a gondola and they would take her right up this and she would go around that big water fountain in the middle. And she would go up those stairs that's still in her house, just like you go home every night. That's it. And, and it's absolutely amazing. And uh, we've been there a couple of times uh, with mission outreaches. We would take the mission teams there on breaks. If we had a day, we would take a day off and we would go and see such things. And you stand there and you always want to stress the fact, look at it, look at that, look at that. Isn't it something? Everybody's mouth's hanging open. Yeah, 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 it's really something. And um, then you have to turn to the group and you say, just remember, just remember, this is the best that man can do. It ain't bad, but it's the best that man can do. And you appreciate this. Not in a weird way, but it's like, that's awesome. It is awesome. But why is that in the heart of man to even build such a thing? That's kind of foundational to our argument today. How about the next one? This is one of our favorites. If you ever get a chance to go to, um, this is either Oxfordshire or Cotswold of England. This is the English countryside. This is Blenheim Palace. This is where Winston Churchill was born, by the way. Uh, This is where the Duke of Marlborough uh, was given this land, thousands and thousands and thousands of square acres of of a gift for for, uh, rescuing the crown of England at that time. And this was gifted to him. It was built and given. And it's spectacular. It's one of the greatest uh, structures you can ever go to. If you're ever in England, you got to make your way there. There's a grandness to this that when we read, now listen, everybody, think now. Use some divine, or I should say some sanctified divine imagination linkage with the word of God. A moment ago, you read about a river flowing from the throne of God. About the nations of the earth, the kings will come and bring their glory before the Lord. You read a moment ago that from the trees, the leaves will be picked and the leaves will be used for the healing of the nations. Isn't that interesting? That the street, for example, of Main Street Heaven is some sort of a translucent, transparent, gold reflection. We look at stuff like this and we say, my goodness, that's spectacular. And you've got to study that for a while. You've got to look at that for a while. By the way, listen, when we were there, we didn't know until we went on the tour. This, you're looking at the back of the house. The front of the house, do you see the driveway? It's lined by two trees. It's, I think it's five miles long. Do you see the driveway at the top of the pay, uh, screen? That's the driveway. I'm serious. If this is in man's heart, man who has created the image of God, that there is something within us that beckons us to a heaven, even if we have to try to build it on earth. And there's something about that in our lives. This next home is much more humble than those two I saw you. It's, it's not very big either. It's, very, it's probably the most famous house in the world. But it's not all that fancy. 
It's not all that spectacular, but what it stands for, it's, but it says something. And there's a grandeur to it. And that's within us. Somebody designed that. George Washington had a lot to do with the design of it. But there's a simplicity, but there's an elegance to it. And that speaks about something that's within us. And we need to remember that. Okay, now I'm going to put you all in the test right now. This is all part of our study. You guys ready? I need you guys to participate. By the way, you guys, listen, don't tell anybody from first to second service. But I think first and second service had like, had like, like holiday fatigue. Are you guys okay? All right. Okay. So this, this next picture, picture here, look at that. It's calming. Do you love this? You know how long you have to travel to go to that location? That's right. About 35 minutes. Pasadena today, right now. Did you know that? How many of you have been to the Huntington Library? Raise your hands. That's not enough. Wait, just, I want to see. How many of you have not been? Raise your hands. That's unacceptable. (laughs) This is perfect. Heaven. The Bible tells us about heaven. It's spectacular. Let me ask you something. Are you going there? If you had a chance, would you go? 35 minutes down the freeway is this. Did you know that? Look, if you didn't know it, you're excused. If you knew it and never went, something's wrong with you. This is the Huntington Library in Pasadena. And it's spectacular, is it not? You can go there, you can spend the entire day. It's huge. It's beautiful. You know what I like about it? Reminds me of heaven. When I read, so how do you know you've never been to heaven? No, no, but I've read about it. And if things on earth speak to me, a hint, look, this is like an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> right? You know you go somewhere and they give you whatever that is. Why is it? The more, the more swanky the place, the more idiotic is the hors d'oeuvre. So what is that? What is that thing? Get out of here. No, man, why do they not ever have an hors d'oeuvre that's just like a little miniature hamburger, like the size of your thumb? Instead, it's this thing with eyes and has antenna, and it's like, get it away from me. Oh, but that is from France. Get it out of here. (laughs) Right? No, the hors d'oeuvre is supposed to communicate something. Think about this. God's creation... On earth that has fallen, this earth that is war-bound and full of hate and violence and craziness. And then you have this. God put this in the heart of man to craft. And my argument is, it's because God has put eternity in our hearts. We want to know. Next picture. Ah, where's this? Huntington Library in Pasadena, 35 minutes from here. You should go. Yeah, it is. Okay, here's a long shot. Next one. Where is that? Huntington Library in Pasadena, 35 miles from here. But have you been? See, you can know all about it. I know all about it. But have you been? See, the Bible tells us that our citizenship as Christians is anchored, secured in heaven. That's why you long to go to heaven. Now, the next picture is washed out. I, I apologize. The next one is cherry blossoms. Oh, excuse me. Boy, was that wrong. Okay, that's good. They washed, they washed that photo right out. 
wow, where do you think this is? That's the Huntington Library in Pasadena, 35 miles from here. Is that spectacular? You say, who are the Huntingtons? The people who own that house. Next slide. Uh-huh. You get every service responded the same. Uh. We're not being gaudy or weird here. What we are saying is there's something about that that says, you know what? That's awesome. You say, well, that's not my flavor. I understand that's not my flavor either. But the thing is, I appreciate it. That design, that, that ability, I believe, is only true to the human creation. We have no evidence whatsoever that angels can do this. It seems as though that man, if he could, he'll establish something that is as close to heaven, though he may not even know heaven or have ever studied about heaven. My argument to you is it's in you to want to experience paradise. Why do you vacation trying to find that perfect place called paradise? It's all part of the argument about heaven. And are you going there? Next slide. This is one of the rooms at the Huntington Library in Pasadena, 35 miles from here, 35 minutes, 35 minutes from here. In fact, you know, the blue boy, the famous oil, see him in the middle right there. That's him. That's not a knockoff. That's really him. Spectacular. Uh, Next slide. Oh, okay. Now. Wow. That's a change. Where's that? Huntington Library in Pasadena. That's one of the gardens. That's near the, the tea houses over there to the right. You guys need to go if you've not been. It's awesome. Walk around praising God the whole time. Lisa and I look like two idiots. We're just walking around going, God, you're awesome. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Fantastic. Next slide. Don't you want to run in the grass? You can if you go to Pasadena at the Huntington Library. You can run around there. You can go on the grass. You can look at all those statues. Heaven, if we have this in our world today and God said that he's the creator and the Bible says in James that he's the giver of all that is good and comes down from the father of lights. If I want you to go there to experience this, how much more does God want you in heaven? He made it. It's his. He belongs there and you belong there. He loves you, but you can't go there unless... Because heaven is not our default. Heaven is a decision that you and I need to make regarding Christ Jesus if we're going to go there. Next slide. That's the one that's washed out. All that white you see kind of looks like snow. Uh, That's all pink. That's cherry blossom season in the spring, about March-ish. It's absolutely spectacular. I think that's it. I'm tired of talking about that place. Anyway, you just got to go there. I don't want to talk about it. I want to go see it. Kind of like heaven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. I love verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Listen. That's him coming after your thought life right now. God is saying, you can't see it. You can't hear it. Your brain can't fathom it. But I tell you what, 
I'll reveal a little hors d'oeuvre of it to my kids. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Why do you live? What's your purpose? What's the end game, friend? How does this all wrap up? Is it heaven for you? We're going to be looking today at this. Heaven, will you be going there? Number one, the reality of heaven. So come on, pastor. And that's the whole thing. I want to come to you right now from the view of a skeptic. Maybe a skeptic is in the house or watching right now. And they're, they're, oh, come on, this religious junk, heaven. Well, my argument is, why does man appreciate some sort of glory or paradise that speaks of grandeur? It's not purely materialistic. I'm not promoting some sort of wealth and prosperity bizarreness. I'm talking about the fact that there's something that God has put within you. And apparently it means something to Jesus because you know, John 14, he said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go now to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. That's amazing. It's called heaven. And if I were to host a a funeral of a non-believer, it's always tough, by the way, to do a non-believer's funeral. You know how hard that is? So how can it be hard? Because you can't get up there. Listen, you can't get up there and lie about it. Whoa, wasn't, wasn't Chucky fantastic? No, Chucky cursed God. He was a, a drunk and he beat his kids and he died. You can't go up there and say, let's say some nice things about Chuck. You can't do it. So, man, how do you do a service like that? It ain't easy. Look, when a believer dies, it's a party. When an unbeliever dies, you know what I have to do? I have to say, friends, listen, one thing is for sure, based upon the word of God, if Chucky could talk to us today, he'd say, love God with all of your heart and believe in Jesus Christ. Because you know that's true. Because if he ain't in heaven, he is saying, oh, no, I wish I would have loved God and believed in Jesus with all my heart. That's what Chucky would say. Well, you don't have to go through that. The number one thing about the reality of heaven and making sure that you're going there is waking up to some truths that we need to consider. Number one, write it down if you would. It's this, that there is a natural witness of creation. God has not asked any of you to make a blind leap of faith. Now, believe in me, close your eyes, put a blindfold on and leap out into darkness. The God of the Bible doesn't do that. God is so abundantly kind. There is the natural witness of creation that God has given us. A moment ago, you saw just some mere silly photos of some beautiful places. Imagine what God can do. And so part of the mental ordures is this fact that to Job, the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job... In Job chapter 38, verse 31, listen to this. Job hears God speak. Job, listen, Job had been complaining. He'd been upset. He'd been hurting. Of course, Job, he had a horrible situation. And he's just pining on. And God basically says, are you done now? Can you just be quiet? I'm going to ask you some questions now. Can you imagine? Job (laughs) stands there. 
And God says, I'm going to ask you some things now, and you answer me. And in verse 31, God says, can you, Job, bind the cluster of the Pleiades? Can you take that constellation up there? Can you tell me how I keep it together? Tell me how, Job, tell me. It wants to fly apart, but it stays together. Tell me how I do it. You think you know everything? You think you know how this is going to end, Job? By the way, that goes to all of us. Do you, do you, do you think you know how your life's dynamic, how that situation that you're going through right now, you, you think you know how it's going to end? God says to you today, tell me how I bind the Pleiades together if you're so smart. I got this. Job just stood there. God said, or how about this? Or loose the belt of Orion. The constellation Orion may be the wrong time of the year. In the mornings, the Big Dipper is going to be over here. Orion maybe might be in the southern or western sky. He's the hunter. He's the one with the belt. And he's got his arrow drawn in the sky. You can see him, the constellation. And God says, Job, tell me how I, how I loose. How do I move that constellation around the skies without it bumping into anything? Answer me, Job. Or verse 32, can you bring out Maseroth in his season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs. He's talking about constellations and systems of astrophysics in the air. Friends, listen. If you're an atheist or not, you got to listen up on this. You cannot deny the existence of stars. God says, I know every one of them by name and I'm in control of them. See, man, that's a huge statement. It, of course it's a huge statement. He's a huge God. By the way, a little side note. I've got to keep an eye on the time here. But a little side note. See the word Maseroth there? It's kind of fun. God, God says to Job right there, he said, can you, uh, can you bring out Maseroth in this season? So Maseroth? Yeah, can you bring out Maseroth in his season? There's 12 seasons. Maseroth has 12 elements to it. Has 12 pictures to it. Job, tell me about it. Well, listen, church. Job knew something about Maseroth. It's a Hebrew word. It's known to the ancients. It's 12 constellations. One appears every month. And they tell a story. It's called the Maseroth in Hebrew. And it's the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Maseroth. Every month tells a story. In fact, there's one month about a virgin. If you're into Babylonianism, she's called Virgo. Maseroth in Hebrew, because the Jews were captured by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar changed, he's brilliant. He would capture, extract the genius out of a culture, and uh, keep the people intact. He used good people, he didn't kill them, he wasn't, he wasn't dumb, but he changed their culture, what they wore, what they, their names, he changed them. Guess what? He took the word Maseroth, Nebuchadnezzar took the word Maseroth and changed it into Babylonian. And it's called Zodiac. And the Zodiac is a twisted, perverted story in the sky of God's gospel message that was presented to Job. In fact, the book of Galatians tells us and hints around to us that God preached the gospel to Abraham in the stars. 
remarkable. Doesn't Satan do everything like that? He takes sex and he makes it nasty. He takes marriage and he destroys it. He takes the blessing of children, turns it into a curse. Everything Satan gets his hands on, he destroys. It's a lot like what's going on in our world and our nation today. Lunatics get their hands on something, they destroy it. Satan's like that. Jesus said he has come to rob you and to kill you and to destroy you. Satan. Remarkable. And so there's this amazing challenge. Job, in other words, look at my heavens. They should scream at you that I've got this in your life, Job. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, regarding the natural witness of creation, should cause you and I to want to go to heaven. And the reality of heaven can be argued. The psalmist says, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. You ought to circle the word ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him? Isn't that awesome? The word ordained here is epic. The starry sky, God says, I've ordained it. Teleonomic. I've set a course for them to travel on. It's so certain. You can do math later on in the 20 and 21st centuries. And you'll be able to figure out when to launch a rocket from Florida or from California. You can figure out by my mechanics of the heavens just right where the space station could meet up with the incoming capsule. Did you know you cannot do that? JPL could never figure that out except... Or unless God is dependable? Think about that. I don't believe in God. Why not? He screams at us and says, you think this is something? I've got a heaven coming. Your eyes can't even handle it. Your ears can't even receive it. And I've given you a physical or natural witness. And then I'll move on for speed's sake. But Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. That's awesome. I'm, I'm sorry, but I've never seen a person walk out, see something spectacular. Whoa, look at that. Look at the Milky Way. It's amazing. You know, the other, remember uh, the Riley's Farm night? Did you guys do that? Riley's Farm for the Christmas? Did you see how dark it was up there? Did you go out and see the star? You can see the Milky Way. I, no, I've never seen anyone walking there. Oh, look at that. Wow, that evolution is awesome. <laughs> you rock, Darwin. It's never happened. You feel very small when you see such things. God is speaking to us. The second thing is that there's a personal witness that all of us can agree with. And that is all of us have a conscience. There's a consciousness that God has given you. See, you can say today, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in heaven. It's funny, you don't believe in heaven, but you want to live in a beautiful place and beautiful manicured lawns and gardens. And you want to live in a, if you could, you'd live in a palace. And I believe that you're searching for heaven. You don't know it. And you want to have stability and protection and safety. And you don't want to, you don't want to, you want your kids to be unstable like you were. So you give them everything and 
Why? Because you want them to experience something better. Why would you deprive that from God wanting you to experience something better in heaven? He wants you there. The Bible says that hell has been created for the devil and his angels. That means that God did not invent hell to send humans there. Humans go there because they demand to go there. You see, that's the default, not heaven. There's a personal witness of consciousness. Again, Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job says, which might be the oldest question of all. Job says, if a man dies, shall he live again? You ever think about that? If a man dies, shall he live again? I don't know, but if this shouldn't be maybe plastered on every mask that covers our face in a time like this. Somehow, some way, something's happened. Imagine, as I've said before, I want to say it again. If we were so terrified of our child getting into internet sites that they ought not to go to as much as we are about a germ. Wouldn't it be amazing if every husband was terrified of some flirtatious woman that would threaten his marriage, that he saw that as a greater threat than he does a virus? What's wrong with us? What to God we could convert our position where if we are protecting ourselves from a virus that apparently everyone's going to get anyway. If you look at the data, the statistics are overwhelming. It's just something like now you're going to get. You're just going to get it. Don't say that. What if we were suited up in the spirit realm against the attacks of Satan and the enemy? And concerned about that. What if people told us, you know what, you need to, you need to cover up. So when you get your shield up, get your sword out, get your breastplate of righteousness out. There's the enemies in the area. But we don't listen. I don't know if we believe in heaven. We read about it in this book. We talk about it. But when we talk about getting ready for it, thus our conscience Amazing thing, conscience. Do you realize right now your, your, your physical body, listen, we've, done, we've, we've been doing this for thousands of years. If we cut you open like a Christmas turkey and took out all your parts and we searched for your conscience, <laughs> think about it. Where is it? Could it be here? Let's, let's open that up. What's that thing? What's that little thing behind the liver right there? What's that? That's not it. Where's your conscience? So you got to move up. It's up near the head. It's, it's in the head. Oh, we open up your head. Look around. There's not much up there, by the way. Did you know that? Your brain is highly composed of cholesterol and other types of things. It's, um, it's there. It's about seven and a half, eight pounds. <laughs> Crack that thing open. Put it out there. Look around. You know, the brain today is still more advanced than any of the observable universes. We've seen the brain. And listen, they, and people look at it. What is it? It's a brain. What do we do with it? We're not exactly sure. It's beyond us. But where's the conscience? Nowhere. How'd it get there? 
Isn't that amazing? The Bible says God created Adam out of the dirt. See, that's ridiculous. That's what you are. That's what you are. Me. We're made out of dirt. And Adam was nothing. And the Bible says when God was when God formed him out of dirt, Adam was just there. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you love to have seen what happened? Because God it said that God breathed into Adam the breath of God, the life of God. It's where we get the word, by the way, pneumatic, wind-driven. God breathed into Adam and he came alive. The elements went from dirt into the structure of tissue and flesh and sinew and bone. God did that. And Adam, can you imagine? Adam is alive. How'd that happen? Listen, when you die, your soul, your spirit, your consciousness leaves your body. We can talk to you all you want. You're not there. Get up, get up, get up. They're not getting up. Their life has left. We know this. And God says to the believer, to be absent from that body of yours is to be present with the Lord. But that presupposes that you're a believer in him, that you trust him. There's a personal witness. The Bible tells us, you know, this is so true. In Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Now listen, this is Paul the genius speaking. It's, it's amazing because it's the Holy Spirit using Paul. But boy, the Holy Spirit had a lot to use with Paul. Uh, it sounds like he's a graduate from like SC Law or something here in a moment. Listen to this genius. For when Gentiles, non-Jews, he's a Jew, he's talking about non-Jews, even unbelievers who do not have the law, they've never seen the Ten Commandments, by nature do the things that are in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves. This is not only a biblical theological fact, it is a sociological, anthropological, anthropological, you know what I'm trying to say? Fact. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Watch this. You have a courtroom in your head every moment. And that courtroom makes a difference between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or excusing them. Did you know that? In your head, your conscience reminds you that you're innocent against that accusation, but you're guilty about these things. Think about it. The Bible says, if you've never even heard of God or the Bible, if you, you realize if we flew over, if we're going to Sao Paulo, Brazil, Los Angeles to Sao Paulo, it takes forever. If we were to fall out of the airplane and land in the Amazon jungle, did you know we'd come across some people who they don't have a Bible and you'd watch them? Did you know what? They got all they have, they have a spear and they have like funny looking underwear on. That's about it. Do you know what they know? They know it's wrong to murder one another. How do they know? 
they know it's wrong to steal from each other. Did you know that? They don't steal from each other because it's wrong. They don't rip off any other's husbands or wives from one another. So, man, those guys are barbaric. Uh, maybe not. Isn't it interesting? See, right now, if, if you're an atheist, you gotta, you got to ponder that one, man. Where did it come from? Well, it's just part of man. Exactly. Where did it come from? Well, see, the truth is you don't know. People don't know. Well, somewhere from by, near the spleen, there's this thing that causes us to think a chemical, and we've mistaken it for morality. That, my friend, is called insanity. That's a long way to try to justify your wrong conclusion. It speaks about the fact that you and I were designed by God to be with him in worship and in fellowship, and it's called heaven. And he's going to come back, and he's going he's to undo this world. You can cheer up. It's not going to stay this way. He's going to fix it. It's going to get real bad before it gets good, though. He's going to let man run out the clock. And then he's going to come and fix it. But there's a personal witness. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, 1. A familiar verse because it's so important for our age and will become more important every day. But 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the, now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, the last days, as we approach the end of time, some will depart from the faith. Some will give up for whatever reasons. Jesus gives you those reasons in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower and the seed. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to give heed, give attention. Watch, people. It means that they're going to give themselves fully over attention, completely yielded to deceiving spirits. Stop right there. To, to be so captivated by something and you're watching it and you're listening. You can't even hear anybody else. Susie, 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 Susie. And they're like this. You ever seen this happen? And then you have to touch them. Excuse me, I'm talking to you. What, what is it? What? I've been speaking to you. What is it? Where have you been? I'm just, I'm just... Watching this, or looking at this game, or what? What's up? <laughs> the Bible says that there's going to be people who depart from the faith. I'm done with this Christian stuff. I'm learning some really cool stuff over here. It's captivating. Isn't it amazing that when you're going to read the Bible? You got to work at it. I mean, I'm confessing. I didn't ask you about this. I'm confessing. It's, I assume it's the same. Is it hard for you to read the Bible? Yes. Come on. Yes? yes? yes. Me too. The moment I, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read it. It's awesome. Nobody's awake. It's a great morning. I'm going to read my Bible. And it's almost like hell goes, No, you're not. <laughs> and... The doorbell goes off or the fire alarm or I don't know what. Are you with me? Somebody calls. 
wrong number. I'm sorry. It's like Satan, call, call that number, call it. You have, to, you have to work at it. The moment, though, the moment something of a demonic power comes along, like a deceiving spirit to teach, you know, you're captivated. You just go, oh. And you can barely go to work. You're captivated. The Bible says, watch out, there's going to be days right at the end that things are going to captivate you to pull you into a, another world. It's not even real. It's a world of... Demonic influences. And then the second thing is, look what he says here, that what's before us also is doctrines of demons. Demons telling people things. I had a dream. Yeah, watch out. The Bible says this would characterize the last days. This sounds like a Jerry Springer program or... That kind of stuff. Or Oprah show. I died and I saw I went and it was amazing. And Jesus is really no big deal. He was just all with us. And you, you can believe anything you want. You got heaven. That's right out of the pit of hell. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. But listen, in 1 Timothy 4.1, we'll have to end right here. It's just the way it is because I've wasted the time. It says, speaking lies and hypocrisy. I'm sorry. Stay indoors, wear your mask, and you can't go to any restaurants. (laughs) Sorry. Listen, this is the punchline. <laughs> Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. We'll, we'll end here. Listen, this is what this means. They, they started listening to things that caused them to pull away from the faith. They gave themselves over to its full attention. They invested in it. Little did they know it was the workings of demon spirits, invisible and it never got a hold of their attention. They never figured that part out. And why would, the, why would the spiritual dark world tell you about their plans anyway? If they're really smart, and they are, they're not going to tell you, hey, we're going to attack you next week. <laughs> Jesus said if somebody knew that, they would not allow their home to be broken into. Right. right? So look at this. They speak lies and hypocrisy. What does that mean? They dress up in white while they tell you darkness. We're here to help. Watch out. Having their own conscience seared. The word seared is where we get the word carterize, caterizzo, to carterize something. To heat up a piece of metal, glowing hot, to take an open wound that is hemorrhaging. You can take that hot iron and you can put it right on the wound and melt it shut and save someone's life. When Listen, depending upon what kind of surgery you're having, the doctor can cut with the blade and right connected to the blade is a little 
item that trails the blade and it lasers the skin, melts the skin right back together when it's cut. It's brilliant. It's brilliant with the right application. But if you've ever had a scar and then you open up that scar again, have you ever ripped open a scar? And if that keeps happening, you keep bumping it, tearing it, ripping it, you know what happens? You wind up getting skin that loses its ability to feel. The the skin becomes dead. And you can rub your hand across and you'll feel the dead area. And then you'll pick up on the feeling again. The sensation's gone where it has been traumatized beyond feeling. When that happens, you can't feel anymore. These people, what's happened to them is that they dabbled into something and they got burned. They just burned. But then they went back to it and they got burned again. And they went back again to it a little bit and they got burned, but it wasn't that bad of a burn. Then they went again and then they couldn't even feel the burn after a while. Then they could just pick it up and hold it. Can you do this? (laughs) You've seen those guys Walk across, you know, in Hawaii, they have the fire walkers, which is like nuts. It's like, and the, I don't know, you know, I go there for the food. I don't go there for the show. <laughs> but the guy goes, hey, watch this. You throw him the stuff and he walks bare feet on hot and burning coals. And it's just like, yeah, I'm not impressed. <laughs> don't want to do that. I mean, what's the point? I can do it. Yeah, I, I, I would freak out. I don't feel anything. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> when the LAPD brings a man in for having committed multiple murders in the apartment and they ask him, how did you do it? With a knife. How long did it take? A couple hours. What were you thinking? I don't know. Wondering what they felt, Maybe. What did you feel? Uh, nothing. Conscience seared with a hot iron. Having committed something so often, listen, listen, you've committed it so often that you don't even feel it anymore. And the danger is you can even go to church stuck in tradition, but living that kind of a life. You've been hurt so many times, for example, if you don't keep your heart tender and safe in the arms of Jesus, you can be hurt so many times that you even think you're protecting yourself and shielding yourself from that. And you'll only get involved in the situation so far, then you'll pull back. And something really good comes along, but you've conditioned yourself to pull back. You know why? Because for some reason, hurt, pain, sorrow, disappointment, you've somehow concluded not only will I never have a house like Blindham Palace <laughs> or Catherine the Great, but I don't care. I don't care about your heaven. I don't care about your Bible. I don't care about any of that stuff. Because you have allowed your heart to become so seared that it can't feel anymore. And that when, when the Bible tells you, God loves you, you say, not me. 
not for me. This is a danger. You see, the way you get to heaven is by the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. But if you've become so callous to your own activity that you don't see yourself a sinner, you are in epic, eternal danger. And if everything you do is followed up by a justification sentence out of your mouth, you're even further. And when you, when you do something and, and you get caught and then you say, yeah, but you know what? It's because... Callous, callous, hardened, hardened, no feeling. You know who's in heaven? A bunch of sinners are in heaven. How do you know? Ask them. You can ask them. You can read their statements in the book. Isaiah saw heaven. You know what he said? Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm undone. My lips are filthy. I'm wicked. And I live in a I live in an entire nation that's wicked. You know what God said to him? God said, I have taken a coal from off the altar and placed it on your tongue. And you are purged. Your iniquity has been removed from you. Isaiah is in heaven today and he still thinks he's a sinner. When you and I get to heaven, you know what? We're going to walk like this. We're going to be like a bunch of people walking in to Captain the Great's uh, palace. So what, what, what are we doing here? Just shut up. Just come on. Just act like, just act like you're supposed to be here. So, nod your head. Sure. It's like, we're here. Think about it. Are we here? Oh, we're here. <laughs> How long are we staying? Uh, forever. Um, Think about it. Because listen, when you, when you walk through, it's going to say something like, imagine the gate. Imagine the gate. Called before the foundations of the world. Right? And you walk through. You walk in and you look back on the backside of the gate. And it says something to the effect all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you're standing there. Oh. And let me tell you, friend, it's going to cause everything in this world that man can build to look like a joke. Glory be to God that heaven is not made with human hands. What awaits us is absolutely awesome that it takes sanctified imagination to begin to wonder how in the world will the trees be used? Trees, and there'll be water in a street, main street, heaven down the main street. The street is transparent, but gold in color. And the nations will come and bring their glory to it. Nations. And the kings will honor the Lord from year to year, it says. Think about it. The Bible. Have you ever thought about that? That's not metaphorical, man. That's going to happen. 
Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, the entrance is Jesus. The entrance is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ was provided as an offering for our sins upon the altar in heaven above. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who we read earlier in the beginning, who is the actual temple and the light. It's the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life enter in. So heads bowed, eyes closed, please. No one moves. Don't interrupt someone who is quite possibly making the greatest decision of their eternity. Christians, please be praying right now. Right now. Intercede. But I speak to you, two people groups right now, this morning, today. Number one, this has made some sense to you. And you're hearing now that the entrance into such places is not a ticket that you can download or get online or PDF or scan. The ticket is the blood of Jesus Christ. You got to have the ticket. Number two, there are those here that you're a Christian, but you've never gone public with Jesus. You've never stood for Christ. We're at the end of the year. You've made it through this year by the grace of God, you know. He's given you one more Sunday, but you've never stood for him. So I'm going to ask those of you first, that today things have clicked and you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to receive him as your Lord and Savior. You want to get the tickets into heaven. But the reason why you get the ticket is because you need to bow to him. Not physical. That's ridiculous. Anybody can do that. But to bow in your heart, your conscience, think of that. To say right now, wherever you may be, whoever you may be, I'm bowing my soul, my heart, my spirit, my life, my will to Almighty God. I know that my default location is hell because I have sinned against the Almighty God creator of the universe and all that there is and I have alienated myself from him and I've lived for me. I've taken pleasure that God has given and I've, I've ruined it and made it my self-pursuit. I've crushed it. And in doing that, I've crushed me. And I want to be a new person. I want to start all over. I want to have my slate clean. I want to have my conscience cleared. Jesus, save me. And for those of you who have never gone public, today's your day. As we worship, Christians be praying, please remain seated. But those of you who are accepting Christ today and proclaiming Christ publicly today, will you come up, stand up, come forward and dedicating your lives to Jesus that you'd stand at the front of this platform and we'll pray with you in a moment. God has sustained you to this moment to bring you to this hour. I highly recommend you take him up on his gracious offer to give your life to Jesus Christ today. You come right now as we sing. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. If, that, if you are out there today and if you're in the overflow, you can come now. But if in your mind right now, right where you're at, you've got this thought process. 
I should do this. I'll wait till next week. No, no, I should do it now. But what will my friend think? You know what? I, maybe, maybe I can do it later. What if the Bible's true, friend, and it says, now's the acceptable time, today is the day, because it is true. And what if the enemy of your soul is whispering to you, put it off, just wait. Think of it. We are one heartbeat away from forever. One heartbeat away. If you've got a battle going on in your mind and if you're thinking, God can't forgive me, boy, do you qualify. You're the one, Jesus said, the person who is forgiven the most turns out, winds up loving the most. So no matter who you are, you need to make that decision. Walk away from your life. Walk away from what this world has done to you and walk into the arms of Jesus Christ. Let's come. You come right now. A few more moments. You come. In a moment, we're going to pray. And in the prayer that we're going to pray, even though we're all going to pray it, it's it's the fact that you mean it. If you mean it. So how can God do that? You mean he hears all of us at the same time? Exactly, yes. Listen, he's God. He's not a human. He's God. He can do that. Okay. And when we pray this prayer, he's going to hear you. And I want to warn some of you, uh, don't be thinking, okay, if I'm, I'm going to get ready, I'm going to pray it now. Oh, it's going to feel fantastic. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not denying that you could get a feeling, but I never got a feeling. I don't get feelings like that. I just know what the Bible says. Nowhere does it say, you know, if you feel a certain way, it's going to happen to you. No, you come by faith. Faith trumps feelings every time. Feelings are whimsical, you know? Faith trumps feelings. Okay? And so pray this prayer. He's faithful. He's listening. And he's going to transform your life. You're not going to get electrocuted or be knocked over. Listen, what's going to happen? He's going to transform your life. And you're going to know it. Every single one of you, you're going to know it, I predict, like in an hour or two. You're going to know it because your mind is going to change. You'll be thinking differently. It's pretty amazing. So when you leave from this place, you're going to be thinking thoughts that you've never thought before. And then you're going to, want, then you're going to have a thought that you are used to having. And immediately, the Holy Spirit is going to say, we don't think those kind of thoughts anymore. And you're going to, you're going to freak. That's when you can freak. He's, he's awesome. Are you Ready? Let this fall from your lips out loud, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Please write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Forgive me of my sins because I today proclaim Jesus Christ As my Lord and my Savior. And I give you my life. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
It's a, it's a decision you make. Isn't it awesome? We can all stand. Listen, isn't it amazing? Because you would think there'd be, let, you know, let's have a big ritual. No. Jesus walked by Matthew. Jesus walked by Matthew, the tax collector, and he said, Come, follow me. That was it. And he walked away. And Matthew decided, I'm going to follow him. Matthew. Same thing happened to Peter. Same thing happened to Paul. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Same thing happened to Mary. (laughs) Same thing happened to these here today. So from this moment on, dive into the Bible, start in John's gospel, and watch what happens. He will transform your life. It's what he does. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.